0: It's another Desert Island goals and it's John Gibbons hosting this time. And I'm delighted to be sh- joined in our studio by the CEO of uh, Liverpool Football Club, uh, Peter Moore. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, John.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks very much for coming down. braving the weather outside. Yeah, it's, it's
1: uh, 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 as we said, it's not Madrid anymore. I can't <laughs> come back now. It's, uh, <laughs> And we're going to get this for the next week, but you know what? It's Liverpool. Brilliant. It's got a lot better things going on for it than the weather.
0: Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about sort of your your love affair, if you like, with Liverpool Football Club, because it's not something you you get to do too much. No. I, I will guess. You know, it's it's business, and it's and it's today, and and it's what what a Liverpool doing tomorrow. Where it's right. nice, to kind of like look back and how it all started for you, because how it yep. all started for you is how it all started for most of us, really. Yeah. Which is, you know, as as a young boy supporting the boys in red.
1: Yeah, exactly. Lads and dads. And uh, as I've uh, famously said many times now, my first game was November 1959. My dad took me to Anfield. Uh, we played Leighton Orient. We beat Leighton Orient 4-3. This is pre-Shankley. Phil Taylor was still the manager. Shankley came actually the month after. And of course, we were languishing in the second division. We were a mediocre second division team. And the other team in Liverpool were the, the dominant uh, Division one, uh team. So... Uh, but I'll never forget that day. I was only four years of age, and but I can still sense and feel and stay with my dad. I think we were on the paddock. Uh, I was too small to go in the boys' pen, um, and he was not one for us sitting in the stands, uh, <laughs> and you couldn't get stands tickets anyway. So, so yeah, Lake Orient three, Liverpool, four, and I was smitten from that moment
0: on. <laughs> I mean, the first goal you picked, you pick three goals for us, as everyone does, and your first goal is... is- is sort of quite young in your life as well. Yeah. It's, it's a, it is a John's goal in the FA Cup final nineteen sixty five. 1965. Uh, so you would have been about 10. 10 years of age, yeah. yeah. So first of all, I think it's worth sort of reminding people or, or maybe for people who don't know just... Describing the, how big it was for Liverpool to win the FA Cup because they hadn't won it up to that point, and I gathered it was something of an obsession. I guess
1: it was, you know, we, I, if I recall, we played twice in the FA Cup on 1914 and maybe 1950 and the lost. 58. Yeah, lost both times, and so and. You know, the FA Cup then, and it's, it's, we can talk about the FA Cup now, obviously, but the FA Cup then was just this momentous weekend away, and, and I was too young to go. And for those of you who were too young to remember that it was black and white, and it was the only football game you saw on television during the year. Everything else was blacked out. Um, and so you would, the anticipation for the FA Cup final was monstrous. Royal Marine Marching Band would be there before the kickoff and, and for us as Liverpool fans this was almost the Holy Grail of that period of time and it was that great team of Roger Hunt Ian Callaghan St. John Jerry Byrne famously broke his collarbone but played on in in the final went to extra time and I can still see this majestic diving header from the Saint Cali goes down the right wing pings it over wasn't a great cross because it was a little bit behind St. John but he somehow managed to arc his body to get it in past Gary Sprake and uh, we all went ballistic. It was just one of those great days because we'd won the league the previous year, so it wasn't quite the double, but it was relatively <laughs> close. And uh, that really set us off on to where we are today, winning that trophy, bringing it home to Liverpool. It was the days of St. George's Hall and, and Town Hall and, and, and maybe going up and down Castle Street, if I remember rightly. And um, we had a lot more of those parades ever since. So, yeah, I always remember that. And where did you watch it? At home. Uh, by then, I had moved just a couple of years earlier. To my dad had moved. Has got a pub in North Wales because the pub we had um, in Garston on Speak Road. Uh, we'd moved away from that kind of a. If you, I, I pass it every day when I go to the airport, and my my wife who's sick of it now that that's where I grew up. Uh, it's now the budget tire depot. But the, oh yeah, it's but okay. But the building is exactly the same. It's the Gay Cavalier, It was a Ben's Brewery pub, and that's what my dad. Had, and that's kind of where I grew up a yeah. little bit. But the tenements were still there. Those <laughs> of uh, the, the listeners who remember Gardens, Um is Gardens, um, it was kind of rough. And my dad um, got a great opportunity to get a pub between Wrexham and Chester. And so I will have moved there, the red line of Marford, top of Marford Hill, right on the uh, Chester Road. Um, and I will have watched it with my dad in the pub on probably, and I'm not exaggerating, a 13-inch black and white television. <laughs> and I'm no exaggeration there.
0: I want to I talk to you about a few of those players that you've mentioned because the, I think they're worth sort of eulogising on a little bit more. And, and the first one is Ian Callahan, who you mentioned, yeah. puts that cross in. Um, you know, he for some people, again, listening to this, he's just a statistic. Everyone knows that he's Liverpool's greatest appearance uh, holder. My be forever that might be a record that's never beaten because it's an extraordinary number isn't it and just shows that how he managed to sort of reinvent himself how he managed to come through different periods because you mentioned there the you know the, the where we were you know when we went in, in your first game he comes right through that to, yeah. you know and 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 more I um, mean I mean he must have been an extraordinary player to to achieve that Well 870 games I think yeah nobody's going to
1: in today's world nobody's going to play you know nearly 900 games for a singular club uh squad rotation and everything that goes on now. And for me um because I have the honor of seeing him on a regular basis yeah. and it's different for me. And then people go "That's oh, Cali and I go this is Ian Callie right? <laughs> and and so when I'm with him which is a lot because he's still very involved with the club, still works match days and loves it. And I say Callie, you know, because he's I think uh, it was his birthday I think last week, 77 years of age. He said I love being around the club. I love Um, being relevant. I love talking to young fans who have no idea who I am.
0: Um,
1: But this club means so much to me. And he tells great stories about catching the bus to play with his boots and people letting him go to the front of the line at the bus stop because they knew he was playing that afternoon. Um, What a player. And what a team that was. You know, Callahan on one wing, Peter Thompson on the other, Steve Highway a little later on, obviously, but Roger Hunt, St. John, Willie Stevenson, you know, Ron Yates, obviously, Tommy Lawrence. Um, That was the team if you can say what team is the platform by which, as we sit here today, we're enjoying Liverpool champions of the world champions of Europe and hopefully one of these days champions of England, that was the team that was a basis for it and those eleven players which we can all name if you're
0: people of a certain age like I am uh, are still the foundation of that of of our football club today and it's an interesting game because it's 2-1 but all the go- games come in extra time and uh, all the goals sorry, come in extra time yeah. and the first goals scored by Roger Hunt you mentioned yeah. that, that the copies to call Sir Roger.
1: Sir Roger. I still again Roger will show up and it's me and across the room so you can recognize the first time I came to the club I think 2017 the player awards and there was Roger Hunt at my table and and I was in awe still got that great hair you know that that clean cut look with his with his wife um, who's absolutely delightful. And, you know, he's, he's getting on. He's a little older than he is 80. Um, but still, you can engage with him. You can talk about games sharp as attack. Um, and from that perspective, I think these are the people, the Roger Hunts of this world, Ron Yates. You know, obviously, we've lost recently. Peter Thompson's gone. Tommy Smith is gone. Tommy Lawrence is gone. And we're starting to see this passing of a generation, which is sad to me. Um, but, but still having Roger with us, still having the Saint with us, still having Cali with us. Um, these are huge players for me as a football fan, as a Liverpool fan that are the basis again of what this club is built upon.
0: And so it's important for you that these guys always feel welcome at Liverpool. Always oh, yeah. feel like they can come, and, and, it, and it's it's their club as kind of much as anyone's really.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they, on a game day, we've got about twenty twenty five players that are wandering around the lounges and talking to fans, and they love it. You, you know, and they Bruce Grobbelaar, Phil Neal, David Fercliff, David Johnson, Terry McDermott. You see them all uh, in in the lounges, talking, engaging, telling stories. And I think it's, it sets us apart as a football club of the types of players that we can. You know, in the boardroom, can you be there. Russia will be there. Phil Thompson comes up all the time whenever he possibly can. And I was in um, Madrid, as we both were, and bumped into Luis Garcia. <laughs> and, you know, you talk to these former players who have either passed through here or have had a great length of their career here. But, but to a man, Sammy Hoopy is the same. I'm a red you know there's something about this football club that once you've donned that shirt and you've run out onto that pitch that no matter who you play for in your career and Luis Garcia is a great example Z- Zabi Alonso are great examples they've all played for big clubs yeah. other than us but but they're reds there's something the essence of what Liverpool is about is is captured forever in their hearts and they come back and we're looking forward next month to the legends game and El Nino's coming back Fernando Torres and he was at the Atletico game and uh, I didn't get to talk to him but everybody says he's training and he couldn't be more excited to put a Liverpool shirt on particularly play Barcelona as you might
0: imagine so (laughs) so, yeah there's such an important part you know of our history and just to sort of uh, finish up on on the game again specifically before we move on to your next pick um, I was thinking before about obviously we're all hopeful of 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 a league title this year after a long wait and I'm I'm thinking about what the outpouring of emotion might be like you know if and when we do do it and it must have been a similar thing in 1965 in terms of that FA cup it, you know it must have felt like a you know, I mean, you were only ten years old, but I'm yeah. sure there was other people. You know, your dad was say, "You know, are we, are we ever going to win this? Is it? You know, how long is it going to be?" And then, so when it was done, it must have. You know, there must have you must have been seeing so much kind of emotion from Liverpool fans. It was
1: euphoric, and remember, these are the days of of you know the beginning of Anfield South, right? Where you you'd not just go into Wembley for the game; you'd have a great weekend down there. These are the days still of men go into the game in a shirt and tie at times. <laughs> These are the days of red and white knitted scarves, rosettes, and rattles. And in my office, and I know you've been in, if you look on the wall, I've got a rattle from the um, FA Cup final 1965, a classic red rattle hand-painted wow. FA Cup 1965 that's uh, framed up on my wall. And and as a kid, that's, that, that's what you donned. You had your red rosette, red and white rosette, you had a classic red and white knitted scarf your mum knitted or yeah, cuz you couldn't buy them and and then you, you to make noise you'd have your rattle um and we were up for the cup was an expression that was always used theoretically you were going down for the cup but it was something that was so special there um just wish it was in color I mean, it just and <laughs> just colorized versions of it but you know that and that was when you know, only a couple of years in we started wearing all red you know and and to me that FA Cup final and Leeds, of course, were in all white, right? So it just there was something glorious about that Shankly leading out um, the team uh, in the days when the manager would take that long walk at the head of his team, <clears throat> and I assume it was probably Don Revie for for Leeds. That time, yeah. Yeah, and um, if you there's also a famous photograph of Ron Yates and Bobby Collins uh, at the coin toss, and, and Yates like look. Bobby Collins up to Ron's <laughs> tummy.
0: Um,
1: so, all of those memories come together. Uh, and, but that was a seminal moment in our club's history because it felt like now we've won something big. The FA Cup then
0: was absolutely monstrous, you know, and to do the double ish uh, <laughs> was huge. Yeah, my dad still got his knitted scarf. Funny enough, it's it's so long. <laughs> it's
1: yeah, like yeah well, huge. But your mum or your nana would do it. His you. did his. Yeah, yeah and it's and so long and it was heavy yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, God forbid he got wet. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and now, of course, I mean, I'm looking at dozens of scarves over there. But yeah. now, now they're dime a dozen. But yeah. uh, there's nothing better than a classic red and white knitted scarf.
0: Okay, we will move on. Uh, your second goal is is another classic. It's another one that that's that steeped in Liverpool's history. It's Terry McDermott against Spurs over in nineteen seventy seven. It's it's a, a famous performance and a famous goal because you know when you speak to people of a certain generation again, you say the the all time best Liverpool performances of all time. Uh, Liverpool seven spares nils always yep. right up there. That was a really good Spurs side. Uh, a few superstars they just signed yeah. as well, but the I mean they got a hammer in that day at Anfield.
1: It was that goal for me. If anybody says, could you show me the quintessential Liverpool goal? That's the goal I'll show them. If you, if you look back, and everybody remembers, obviously, the Terry Mack header, then people will dissect it to Stevie Highway hitting it first time off the left. The David Johnson pass, you know, in the day, this is not Desso pitches with superb balls. This is <laughs> David Johnson pinging this thing with the outside of his right foot into Steve's path with the weight... And just the slight curl, like Trent does today, that allowed Highway just to run on seamlessly without breaking stride. Glancing to his right, seeing Terry Mack, not the most prolific header of the ball, but basically just nailing that first thing to the back post. And I'm assuming Pat Jennings was probably in goal for for Spurs. And you're right, this was a tremendous Spurs team. But that, to me, is the quintessential Liverpool goal. Bang, bang, pass and move. Just pace out of the back. We, we we look at the way we break nowadays. You look yeah. at Allison Mo in the last minute against Manchester United. Well, we used to do that in the mid seventies at speed as well, uh, and 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 the playing conditions because this goal was late in the season. Playing conditions were nothing like they got today. But that goal for me, when somebody says, "Show me the quintessential Liverpool Football Club goal," that's the
0: goal I'll show them. I mean, I used to watch you know these teams on videos and what used to you know, used to stand out for me when I think about the relentlessness of these teams because this is the seventh goal in a game where I think most sides would have just been passing it around amongst themselves by then. But Terry Mack runs the length of the oh, pitch yeah. to, to yeah. kind of to head that well, in remember, because... it was cleared from a corner. Yeah, Like, so we
1: were, you know, all in our own box. And you're right, we're already 6-0 up. You might think, <laughs> yeah, probably got this one. But no, Terry Mack just zooms up there. And I talked to, to Ken, because Kenny then, I think, gave it to David Johnson, if I remember rightly. And uh, I often talk to Alan Kennedy about this goal, who, who will talk about this goal forever. Tries to insert himself into the conversation, it, <laughs> but I'm not sure he was. But it is. I mean, you're exactly right. Who, who the hell in their right mind when they went in six 0 towards the dying embers of the game, still will sprint eighty yards to meet perfectly with his head. And again, Terry Mack would tell you if he was here right now. Not the most. Pre- this is not John Toshack we're talking about. But hits that thing, and, and and Highway put it on his head so well that all Terry had to do is is get his head in the way of that, and unbelievable goal. And and it, these were the days I wasn't at the game, but these were the days where I lived. You get the football echo dropped at about six o'clock at night, and I, which was the pink, and again you're all too young for this, <laughs> but either had the copite dancing or yeah. the toffee lady dancing, and. I read, so none of us that night could wait for match of the day uh, because we had won 7-0. Games obviously wasn't broadcast live, but the BBC, you know, would cover all the games and then edit it down for match of the day. And I can remember sitting at 9 o'clock thinking, I can't wait to see this game, 7-0 against Spurs. Yeah, uh, And it was a period there where Spurs couldn't win at Anfield for like 30, 40 years. You go back and it was always something... And I want to say it was like post-World War One that they just hadn't won. And and, and Anfield was their band. Certainly that day was their, was their bogey ground. But I always remember the, the football echo dropped. I read the story and I thought, I got to be in for, didn't go out that night. <laughs> got to be in for match of the day.
0: So you're about 22 at that yeah. point. So what are you doing in your life then? I'm, I graduated from college. I'd
1: come back. I was a PE teacher. Um, so I'd moved back. To North Wales, I went to college in Staffordshire at Madeley College of Physical Education. I got a job in Tlangothlin at us Brown as the PE teacher. So I was teaching physical education. And um, that that back in, in North Wales, in Wrexham, uh, where my parents had the pub, and so I was back there. This is when I started to, in the summers, go over to America and play and coach. But um, that particular year was also the year we won the European Cup, yep. if you remember as well. So. Um, that year was a special year, and I had just graduated the year before and uh, was in my first job. Um, the bizarre thing, I I, um, I always remember watching the game on crutches because I played. Uh, I started my first ever job, this is the embarrassment of my life, still is, uh, on September 7th, 1977, and broke my leg on September 10th playing <laughs> and had 16 weeks off, worked three days, 16 <laughs> weeks off as a PE teacher, so... So I remember watching that game on, on crutches uh, <laughs> with a broken leg. But, but
0: yeah, I was I was teaching physical education. There you go. Um, and, I mean, you mentioned there, 77 being generally a glorious year for Liverpool. It was our first of, of four European Cups in sort of quick succession, yeah. really. It, it just must have been a brilliant time to be a Liverpool fan. Oh, it's
1: phenomenal. I mean, you think, particularly that year, the 77 one, uh, I still, you know, still marvel at Tommy Smith's header. You know, we yeah. still look at that. And go first of all again, similar to Terry McDermott, Tommy Smith was not the one to be coming up for corners and winning, um, you know, scything headers at the near post. But that really uh, cemented this concept we all have about ourselves now as European royalty. You know, you're on um, and that one was broadcast live, uh, and and that game three one, Kevin Keegan in particular. Ending Bertie Voigt's career. Uh, and if you recall, this was the last game Kevin was playing for us before he went to Hamburg. Just turned inside out. Tommy Smith, Steve Highway. I mean, what a great performance that was. And whilst it was, the game was a little bit hanging in the balance for a little bit after that, you know, once Keegan put it away, I think the penalty towards the end there was all over. And that really set us off, to your point, over the next, what was that, seven years um, into four um, European Cups and cemented who we are today.
0: And I mean, we talked about Shankly a little bit earlier. Uh, obviously, it's Paisley by now. For a, for a man who didn't want the job, yeah. um, he did pretty well, didn't he? It's, a, it's, it's an amazing kind of, you know, obviously, Paisley did any football club's history for, for you know, the, one of the most decorated managers now in, in, in sort of world football for a man who, who wasn't sure whether he was up yeah.
1: for it. Well, you talk to players who were around, you know, talk to Rushy, talk to to Kenny, great stories about Bob. Um, Yeah, he didn't want the job. It was a big shock to all of us uh, when uh, uh, Bill resigns. It came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, And, you know, Kenny would tell you that completely different styles. I mean, imagine a shock to the system of the players. You've got somebody larger than life, like Shanks, you know, dominating the dressing room, um, being out front with the media, um, building a bastion of invincibility and um, then you get Bob you know part of the boot room ethic so you had the same values that permeated through the club for decades but a completely different guy and and what Kenny and and Rushy would tell you to this day is that Bob would was more perceptive and he would see things and he wouldn't say much in the dressing room but have a quiet word with everybody had some great one-liners to players Um, and with that kind of you know very withdrawn personality and yet he said when you sat down with him one on one, phenomenal. Um and and, you know, most successful manager we've ever had. And and uh from that perspective, um, I don't think anybody it's tough for anybody think of anybody, uh, to be able to deliver twenty trophies yeah. in nine years, which which he was able to do. Um, and one of the more unassuming characters you'd ever meet, I guess. So but yeah, it was Paisley. It was and that was Bob and and between him and and Shanks, and of course other managers Kenny, we've had Rafa, the, the success we've had, and now Jurgen. Um, that's an incredible banner we have on the cop to this day, right? And, yeah. and Gerard Houllier as well, you know. So.
0: You mentioned before you, you enjoyed sort of talking to the players who who were your heroes back yeah. then about about these sort of games. Do you also speak to people who maybe weren't around at the time who didn't know? So that might be sort of players, if you like, or or, or guy or people from the the ownership group or sponsors. You know, do you do you often say you know well, you should have seen that performance back in seventy well, seven? Look it up on YouTube. You, yeah,
1: you don't want to sound old <laughs> to everybody when I were a lad. Um, but but you do. You you look at you say because. I, I, my wife's a great example. America, and you've met my wife, yeah. you know, and she, and and it's to her, it's Rushy, it's Barnsey, it's Callie. She has no idea. Just Peter's mates. They're <laughs> mates. They're lovely people. She knows their wives, and yeah, and, yeah. and and I try, and, and of course she know, but I'll explain. You know, when she's there, and she sees it, she'll walk with Kenny and Marina, uh, Rushy and Carol, and and see the adulation the players get. But to her these are just great guys Mm. Uh, and um, it's still for me even in my role a thrill to be in their company knowing what they meant to me, to my dad, millions of fans around the world and still to this day what they mean to this football
0: club. So still get a little tingle when I'm with them. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay and your third goal is I mean it's another one that's one of the most famous uh, in Liverpool's history. It's it's the one that gets us back into the game at Istanbul. There's free to choose from there, but it's from the Istanbul final 2005. Um, yeah, free to choose from, as you say, but you've come for that first one. It's Steven Gerald, who's obviously a club icon as well, uh, to get us back into that game.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting for me. At, at this point, uh, my career, long time uh, in, in, at that point in video games, and I was uh, at Seattle uh, working for Microsoft, running the Xbox business, and so... When we got to that final, which was a surprise to all of us when you think of the path we took and the team we had, um, I immediately looked online, and I'm in Seattle, Washington. I look at Istanbul, Turkey. There's no way I can get there uh, without making three plane changes. So I resigned myself. All right, I am going to have the best time. So booked one of the bigger conference rooms on Microsoft campus. Uh, There was an English pub nearby, Uh, invited 150 people into this conference room, uh, ordered beer, pork pies, everything, decked it out in red and white. And everybody came in and we had big screens. And and of course, first half didn't quite go the way we (laughs) expected it. So what happened was a lot of people who were the kind of neutrals that were there for, maybe there for the free beer and pork pies, I don't know, left. And, you know, it was, halftime was a little downcast to say the least. And so I think there was about 50 people left who were, willing to stay with me, more to console me, I think, more than anything else. Because I think as I was thinking, as we all were, I hope this is not 5 or 6 nil, right? When Crespo puts in that third goal, you're Mm. thinking, this could go... And and you look at their team. I still look at their team today, right, versus our team. No disrespect to the lads out on the pitch there, but we had no business coming back. We had no business getting to the final, right? But just something about this team... And and you point to Stephen and his leadership. And so when Stephen's header goes in, um, I start to see a little bit of a buzz. And people started knocking on the door of the conference room because I'd locked the door at this point. And I wouldn't let them in. They wanted to come back and watch. To me, they had left. They'd abandoned us. The karma and the shift was changing. If I let them back in the room, that would not uh, be conducive to what ultimately turned out to a victory. Stephen's header, Vladdy, obviously. The penalties Abby um, you know and then Jersey Dudek and all of the um, histrionics in the end of 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 and Shevchenko, I will never forget that night, and I was thousands of miles away but but i'd invested so much emotionally into the lead up and doing it and and when Steven's header went in and that windmill of his arm as he 's running back to the center spot, you felt then something could be on here, and then you watch the Milan players start to doubt themselves the same way we saw Barcelona more recently here in Anfield. And you could feel it. And you could feel the kind of red juggernaut starting to work flat. shot, sneaks through. Uh, Penalty, Stephen, will tell you this day. Captain's penalty going in, goes down. The drama of the save and then the rebound, everything coming together. And then Dudek's save against Shevchenko, which to this day... Every time I look at that, I said, "I have no idea how he missed that." <laughs> and then the final penalty that Shevchenko missed, right? That, uh, um, and then the place goes nuts
0: around the world. Yeah, I'll never forget that moment. So, I mean, so on the on the on the night itself or the afternoon, I guess it kind of would have been in, yeah, in Seattle. Yeah, noon
1: kickoff. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, as you say, you're in a room, and some of them are Liverpool fans, and others, yeah. you know, are there as you know football observers. You know they. You must have seen, you know, you've got your own emotions, but there must yeah. be kind of disbelief from from other people, you know, who say, you know, this football team, you know, it's, it's incredible what they've done. And, and wherever you go in the world, you know, people will still talk about the miracle of Istanbul. That's Absolutely. not just our phrase, that's, yeah. that's what everyone in kind of football talks about. You talk to all the way up to the higher, uh, Infantino,
1: uh, you know, president of FIFA, um, Cheferin, president of UEFA, and I'll chat with them and I'll be sat with them and things, and you say Istanbul. Their eyes light up, right, because it was great for football and, and people involved in football. Teams we play against, Madrid just, but, the, you know, in two and a half years here, I have pretty much met every president of every major club because we've been so successful in Europe. The, the conversation always gravitates to football and you start talking about Istanbul and you see people's eyes light up. Because I think two things there. What a great game for the neutrals. Mm. Unbelievable game for the... The only people who, who look at that with any disdain are AC Milan fans. Everybody else, <laughs> you know, looks back at that. And it proves that if you apply yourself, um, that that anything can happen. No matter how dire the circumstances in a football match, i got to believe people still think, well, Liverpool were 3-0 down against the best club team in the world at that time. Um, and, and somehow they pulled it off. We can pull it off. So okay. I think... I think these moments in sports history, uh, not just football history, but but general sports history, you can point to. In America, it's always they point to the hockey gold medal against the Russians, right? The Soviets, where there's no way that this team should have won. But these are the games that outlive history almost, that people will always point to. That was Lake Placid in 1980, and they still talk about it to this day people my kids my grandkids my great grandkids will pull out video of the 2005 Champions League final and point say they could do it we can do it yeah you know so i think that is one of those seminal moments not just in this club's history but you talk to your for folks they'll still say best best Champions League final ever ever
0: you know <laughs> And I think it's it's a it's a sort of symbol of of what everything that we thinks great about Liverpool as well, which is the togetherness, which is the, you yeah. know, the the anthem that we have. And I think, you know, we, you know, we go over to America quite a lot now with the Anfield rap and obviously, you know, partly with the tours that you do, but sometimes just yeah. kind of on our own. And it's it's funny because there's it. It shows that the, the, the spirit of the club I think Istanbul that and we've seen it quite a few times recently and and you know when we speak to American fans you know some of them are, are you know sport Liverpool since you know 33 50 years but some of them have yeah. that moment where they just decided that the club was for them and quite a few of them it is Istanbul and yeah. I think it's that it's that there, there is something romantic about this football club but it's all the things that other fans kind of tease us for but that we kind of know is is true really that, that there's something about this club that you think that's something I want to get involved with. That's something well, I want to kind of... the phrase
1: know. we use, you know, is this means more. Yeah. And we get ridiculed by other clubs for that, but but I stand by that. It does mean more. There is something about this football club as you travel the world. As I say, two weeks ago, I'm on holiday in Cape Town. Wherever I go in the world, I want to go spend time with the official Liverpool supporters club. And so sit down, make a presentation, do an hour, hour and a half. You, I think you've been in one of them, maybe. In, in, in Germany. In yeah. Germany, yeah. We did that in Munich and and... And then take questions and, and, and just – they want to get closer to the club. And, and the further you are away – and I've lived through this geographically – the greater desire you will have to get closer. It's when somebody like me shows up with a liver bird on my chest, regardless of who I am, they they, they they lap it up. And I think the essence of what Liverpool is all about is incredibly different than any other football club. And I And I say that without any arrogance or pretentiousness. But there is something – the history we talked about the players who have played for us our achievements the tragedy that follows the football club the uniqueness of the city and the people of the city the tough times we've been through and what football has meant to us throughout those times and for me that was reaffirmed when I was had the unbelievable great fortune to be on the parade bus um, with the Champions League trophy and again bringing my wife into this, she was also on one of the back buses. And she said, you could see the joy in these people's faces. She said, I'm looking down and grown men are crying, seeing Jürgen or whoever with the cup. And I said, they, they are looking at that. And when Liverpool Football Club is successful like we are, their lives are elevated as a result. So when that parade bus comes through, you know, they'll talk about that for decades. And she said, you could see it in their faces. Um, and, you know, And then we came down, the Strand was something else. Um, Ownership was on the bus and they were just loving it. And I think they thought when we came up Leeds Street, if you know what I mean, that it was all over, right? No idea that as we turn left, coming down onto the Strand, onto the dock road, for those of us that would call it the dock road,
0: there's another quarter million people. Uh, Stunning moment I'll never forget. Moment I'll never forget. And does that kind of... I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but does that kind of motivate you... Well, everyone even more, really, when you see... I mean, you know it, we all know it, but when you see in the faces that, as you say, the source of pride the Liverpool Football Club is for people and and for when, you know, the city might be getting knocked or whatever, or when, as you say, people's personal circumstances might be tough, the fact that Liverpool do have the best team in the world, what that means to people, does that kind of, you know, as I say, motivate you even more to, to do a better job, I guess?
1: Absolutely. You owe it to the people who have given so much of their lives emotionally, financially to the football club, paying for, you know, go through the turnstiles when you push a quid, you know, <laughs> through the turnstile and got onto the cop um, and all the way to the modern day. And 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 they've invested their lives in the love of this football club. This city still goes through tough times. And if we as a football club can provide some hope, the fact of the matter is that we have an obligation as a football club um, in this city to do the best we can for the people of this city. And the ability for us to do that over the past few years with the manager we got and the squad we've got um, has been unprecedented. And I can go back to 65 FA Cup final. But when I think of everything coming together right now in this perfect storm of who we are, who we were and who we will be, this is a magical
0: moment for the club and for the city. And back to 2005 then and you're yeah. kind of you're miles away. You must oh, yeah. have been sort of, I mean, you joined the moment, but a little bit kind of homesick, I guess, as well. You know, it's a great point. And um, the following week, Time
1: magazine, Time magazine used to be huge, uh, came out. And I still carry this around. And it was a full-page op-ed piece about a Liverpool fan in Hong Kong, the same night for him, about that night, in the night in, in watching Istanbul, how it made him yearn for his city. Yearn. He was a scouser that had an expat, yearn for everything about his city, um, the lessons that football can teach you about um, resilience, never giving up, um, the, the leadership of Steven Gerrard, who, who not quite single-handedly, but when he scored that header and that run back, not jog back to the halfway line, <laughs> and no real celebration. It's yeah. like the ball's in the back of the net. You know, we got two more to score. Um, that, that was bigger than football and you know and i'll find you the, i'll send you this op ed piece because you'll love reading this and this is about the long distance love affair and again the more the further you are away from this city the more you fall in love with it all over again um, because you you're not here with the shit weather and everything else that goes <laughs> on you just have this romanticized view of what this city now is uh, particularly in the last 10 15 years and, and what we've come through, and when you've come through adversity and, and you've come out the other side, that's better than never having adversity because you've learned life lessons. And what what that did that day, that night in Istanbul, the miracle of Istanbul, as I said, was was more than football for a yeah. lot of people, and certainly was for me.
0: I mean, so. This- does your kind of life give you, I mean, we only have sort of our own experiences and you can't sort of live everyone's, but you've been the, the five-year-old in Garston who's yeah. been taken by his dad and and the thrill of that. And you've been the, the expat kind of, uh, you know, yeah. thousands of miles away who who would love greater access, but, but you know, has, has, has a very important job to do. And I guess that, that makes you sort of fairly unique in a way that, you know, when we have the debates around now around, you know, tickets and access and things like that, you can sort of come at it you know, more or less from every angle really and kind of understand all viewpoints, would you say that's
1: fair? Yeah, I mean, I've got massive empathy and sympathy and understanding and, you know, I've seen football change over 61 years. <laughs> um, you know, I'll be 65 the night of the derby match at Goodison in two weeks. And so I've seen everything um, in black and white and colour. And so there's, there's, there's great sympathy, empathy. I've seen football evolve you know, outside of Liverpool, just the global sport of football. Um, and I like to think for the better because there's, a, there's this pining for the old days. Uh, but let me tell you, if you went back to the old days, as you are now, you go, I, how did you ever do this? <laughs> right? <laughs> the boys' pen is a great example. I was on the boys' pen um, six or seven times, and when, probably when I was 10 or 11 years of age. The first thing you did when you got in the boys' pen was try to get out. It was Lord of the Flies. There was doggy dog in there, and the concept of it now. And I don't know if you know where it was in the far corner, of the cop right, the okay. top right as you look at it. And there was girders there. We were all scrambling to get out because it was mayhem in there, you know. And the idea of throwing in basically ten to fifteen year olds all in there seemed like a good idea at the time. But boy, now, but football, yeah. I'm, I, do we still yearn for the for the for the working class ethics and and everything that was. Great about football, of course, but but like anything else, things move on. Safety is paramount. Um, enjoyment of the game. We have a magnificent stadium now that's only going to get better. Um, you know, having been to the Wanda, which we had fond memories of in June, not some fond memories a couple of nights ago, there's something missing with modern stadiums. Um, and, you know, I was chatting with my fellow executives, Atletico Madrid, uh, delightful people and Miguel and Hill Gill, who's who's the um, CEO, been with the club. His, his his family has owned the club for decades. He says, "I can't wait to come back to Anfield. We have this magnificent stadium," he said. "But there's something about Anfield mm. that um, that I can't wait. It's going to be a great game." And uh, you know, Spurs is the same. What an unbelievable stadium experience! But mm, you miss White Hart Lane. You go to the London Stadium, you know, West Ham, but boy, Upton Park. So there's this constant conflict of modernization versus tradition. And I think we get it right at Anfield. There's still it's still Anfield. Stadium's been there on that footprint for 120 odd years. Um and, and yet it it it's a comfortable experience. We take great pride in the club uh, of visit football awards 4 years in a row. What we what we instill in all of our staff give them a Liverpool welcome the moment they get out of their car they're walking up Walton Breck Road they're coming the other way from Scaries wherever they're coming from greet them when they leave say you know enjoy the game safe journey home but there's a scouseness that we still have that our staff and it's it's recognized by the Premier League and visitors from all over the world as one of the best stadiums to visit because you're getting that there. Um, and I think the stadium experience is spectacular and I've been in most of the great stadiums now in the last two and a half years here and and in my previous years as a fan, you know, there's nothing like Anfield.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I was speaking to a, a, a journalist out in Spain. Um, it was Sid Lowe who was talking to. He was obviously English, uh, but, but lives out there now. And he says he's never spoken to anyone who's been to Anfield and and came back and went, you know what? I don't know what all the fuss I is about. Well, like, it doesn't happen, does it? Like, yeah. If anything, people come back and go, it was even better. Well, you know, and, and, and the one that magnificent,
1: like I say, with fond memories, but I went to the Calderon, the Vicente Calderon. Yeah. I, when I was at Reebok, I did a deal with Atletico Madrid, actually with Miguel's father and um, in the late 90s, What a stadium. The Calderon cauldron is what it was. And so I think you just lose something. You know, thank goodness John Henry walks into Anfield, looks around and says, why would we ever want to leave here? And so we embarked upon, uh, you know, the modernization and the refurbishment, but the footprint's still there. The cops still there. Anfield Road's still there. Um, The Kemlin Road is now the Sir Kenny, but, you know, it's still Anfield. And... That's one of those seminal moments where a decision was made that I think has has given us the platform for success.
0: Do you watch football differently now? I'm interested because I cause I was I was convinced you were going to pick a goal from sorts of the last six months or so, so even sorts of Barcelona or. Or, or Madrid and, and, and when you didn't I sort of w- was wondering like so when you when you watched you know the the, the fourth goal for example go in you know quarter taking quickly uh, you yeah. go in now are you sort of having to be sort of Peter Moore the CEO who's thinking about well, how are we going to get all these people out of Madrid or are you still that sort of five year old boy who's jumping up because Liverpool have still scored a goal. There's a
1: little bit of that. You, you, you. I'm still the euphoric. There's a people always ask do you jump up and scream in the directors box. <laughs> I, I always think there's a protocol. Your team scores, the away team does it. Stand up, applaud. You know, we generally don't sing in the directors box, but I'll sing. you never walk alone. If you ever, God forbid, the cameras come on me when I'm singing and hear me, but you know, I believe that the CEO should sing. You'll never walk alone, and and, and we do that. There's a certain protocol. But, yeah, there's things like I think about, firstly, as a fan when I'm watching the game. 90 minutes, do not talk to me, first of all. <laughs> My wife knows that. Just leave me alone. Let me focus. Nobody talks to me when the game is on. I just need to follow every kick. The, the fan in me, when the game is on, is there first. It's only when you go into the office maybe the next day, the repercu- whatever repercussions are. Stadium operation reports. Um, you see um you know what the what the uh, unbelievable steward and staff you know have to go through to make sure it's a safe secure, enjoyable experience. you go through the reports, you think about the next opponent coming in ticketing obviously always a hard issue um, and then when you go to europe there there is a process you you have a protocol lunch with the opposing team you make a speech you exchange gifts um, as we did in Madrid. Um you then are the guest of UEFA and, and what have you. So there's, there's a process now that I'm, uh, you know, uh, to my delight, very familiar with, because I don't know, it's probably 20-odd games I've been to now, um, that uh, whether it's away at PSG at Barcelona, obviously Atletico, Roma, Napoli, a couple of times, you know, it's just these are phenomenal experiences where you see what other football clubs look like, feel like, operate like, uh, and you compare them to yourself and you feel really good about what Liverpool Football Club does. And I can tell you, John, whenever anybody comes for the Champions League return leg or, or for the first leg at Anfield, it's a first-class experience. And they remark upon the fact it's a first-class experience.
0: It's funny because all three goals you've mentioned, uh, none of them are actually kind of in the stadium for. It. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing And in that I look at, you know, um, Liverpool did a really brilliant job after. I think it was uh, for, for Madrid where they showed all around the world where people were watching the yeah, finals yeah. and yeah. and some of them it shocked Madrid, you like yeah you, like I didn't realize we had that many fans. Oh there. yeah, never mind that 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 they, they, they were so passionate. And I think something that that, that Liverpool does. Um, Liverpool fans do brilliantly and they do it on their own. And I know there's official supporter clubs and you guys support them, but yeah. largely these, these support clubs are run by individual people yeah. who, who create these amazing experiences for, for themselves and for others. And, you know, it's amazing to see, isn't it? It's phenomenal when you go, and again, most recently in Cape Town, you talk to somebody,
1: a gentleman came up to me, he was there probably in his late 70s, said, I've followed Liverpool since the 65 FA Cup final. I've never been to Liverpool. I, but I can tell you every team, every kick, every player, um, and I live and die for this football club, but I've never had the money um, to to go to Liverpool. And so you, you, you hear those stories all around the world. We have over 300 official Liverpool supporters clubs, and there's probably as many, again, that are unofficial to your point. Dedicated individuals who maybe their love of Liverpool has been passed down from their dad in the 60s and 70s that have taken up the mantle. Um, United States is a great example. Uh, you know, we've got multiple clubs now in, in cities where just one club isn't big enough because of the geographical size of the city. So the south side's got a Liverpool Supporters Club. The north side's got a Liverpool Supporters Club. And uh, as I said, I, I make it my business because I owe it to them wherever I go, whether I'm on holiday or they uh, you know, attending a game or uh, attending a conference or something to go seek them out and, you know, make a presentation and then take questions. And there's only certain stuff I can answer. But I think they appreciate the fact the CEO will come. Yeah. It's always a good night, a few beers. It's always some dive bar somewhere. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but, but you know, you'll recall when I first got here, I coined this phrase, local heart, global pulse. And it sounds marketing to a lot of people, but that's exactly what we are. And one of the things that that when you talk to these people, um thousands of miles away they not only have a love for the club they also have a love for the city and everything the the, the two are inextricably intertwined and so you talk to them and and they'll tell you about the city and they'll tell you about the waterfront and european capital of culture and the history of the city and many of them of course have made pilgrimages here and, and have attended games and and what we do is we we've done a lot of research and we did an economic impact report on what the club means to yes. the city and it's substantial, nearly five hundred million pounds a year, come into this city um, via Liverpool Football Club with hotels and transportation, but but we found that people came for the football and then came back for the city. Absolutely. They'd come for a game and they go, this is this is not what I thought it was, and bring their wife, bring their girlfriend, bring whoever back for for a long weekend in Liverpool and. I think that we take our role as a football club as the ambassadors for the city. Seriously. You know as well as I do. You jump in a cab and somebody says, where are you from? And you say Liverpool. Yeah. The conversation immediately goes to football. Yeah. Immediate. Used to be the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. But now, but now it's football. And, and we take that responsibility um, seriously as a football club because we know we're not only ambassadors for
0: football, but, but for the city itself. Yeah, and we, we feel the same with the Anfield yeah. Rapper. We promote Liverpool as much as we can. You know, we, we say we're lovers of Liverpool in every sense yeah. and, and and I think that is that is an important thing for all of us. Um, just to sort of finish off, I'm interested in, you know, to to round up in terms of so, so the FA Cup final. You're a, you're yeah. a 10-year-old boy who's too yeah. young to kind of travel down and then for Teddy Max 77, you're 22, just starting your career somewhere right. else. So then, obviously by... Um, AC Milan, Istanbul. You're you're a guy who's, who's about yeah. fifty, and you know yeah. you're you're very successful. But that with it becomes a, a you know an issue within that you can't just jump on a flight to go to Liverpool whenever you want. So now that you get to sit there in pretty much the best seats of the house and watch yeah. and watch this amazing Liverpool team every week, you know I'm sure you've you're proud of, of lots of things that you've done and, and enjoyed different parts of your life. But I mean that must be a thrill that you can just drive up and and, and watch this fantastic side.
1: You pinch yourself, and 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 what we try to do. Going back to my original point is our boardroom experience. We welcome everybody in a unique way. And you talk to, you talk to the you know, West Ham on Monday, whoever it is, Madrid down the road. I, I've become great friends with the chairman and, and chief executives of major clubs. Nasser Al-Khalifa at PSG will tell me, and I see him regularly because I'm on the ECA board. Love coming to Anfield. Joseph Maria Bartomeu. Will jokingly say to me, "You broke us, Barcelona," um, and we had a great time together. And he's become a good friend as well. And I have great respect for what he does for that football club. Um, Karl Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Hernes at Bayern Munich, just absolute gentlemen. They they came here last year and got their draw, and you know they thought you know that they were in the driver's seat. But I remember Karl Heinz saying to me as we're walking out from those seats, he says, "This isn't over yet." And he remembers, because last time we played them, the same thing happened. I think Ray Kennedy scored a late winner in Munich and and knocked them out. So they love the warmth uh, of the people of this city. And my job is to reflect that in my role. But, yeah, I sit in my seat. I pinch myself. I look around. I stand up. I sing You Never Walk Alone. Only when the ball's kicked off do I sit down. Um, To my left is Kenny Dalglish. Behind me is Rushy. I mean, you do. These are pinch me moments it's not bad and I've never seen us <laughs> losing the league at Anfield since I've been here <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that out loud but, but uh, since I arrived we've never lost a league game a at Anfield thing. yeah my wife thinks just that's just the way it is. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. Yeah, she should have been there. In the early 90s. <laughs> should have
0: been there a while back. <laughs> Peter, Hughes, thanks for coming Thank you, in John. for coming in to speak to us. We do appreciate how open you are. We appreciate your friendship and yeah, yeah. it's very much uh, glad glad to have you, you. coming down. Absolutely, today. my pleasure. It's almost cathartic for me to be able to talk like this and not talk
1: about the business of football. It's great. Sports social podcast network.